They change cultures. They're heat seekers. They run at adversity and embrace change. These are the Room Tilters. Somebody who can change the temperature in a room when they walk in. Mm. And that's metaphorical for somebody who can influence those around them and make it such an impact quickly, emphatically, and long-lasting, whether it be an organization, a team, a relationship, whatever it might be. This is the Room Tilters podcast, presented by Limitless Minds. Co-hosts DJ Eitzen and Harry Wilson, founders of peak performance and leadership consulting company, Limitless Minds, explore how the best and brightest change the temperature in a room. From sports, the military, entertainment and media, clinical psychologists to CEOs, this podcast will navigate what it takes to think big and go far. And now, DJ and Harry. All right, what's up, guys? We're back on the Room Tilters podcast. We have Laura Wild, who's a mental performance coach that specializes in helping athletes and teams get in the zone, which helps them have resilience, consistency, and adaptability. Coach Laura is a thought leader in the field of holistic player development and holistic sports medicine. She works with elite NCAA and WNBA, NBA, and NFL, and uh, Major League Baseball athletes, staffs, and coaches. Um, she's really a beast. Um, I, I love, you know, she's a player coach, right? Because mm-hmm. she played the game. Um, she's she's coached at a, at a high level, and now she's bringing it to the mental performance space, and she's got some unique um, really some 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 unique thought processes around things like epigenetics yes. and this kind of area of supra mental performance. So, DJ, um, why, why, why would people enjoy this podcast today? Share with them and hopefully they'll stay with us and enjoy. Yeah, because they're going to learn some stuff. They're going to definitely learn some stuff. I mean, this epigenetic, uh, st- uh, you know, concept that she's talking about and she teaches on and just really peeling back why people are you know the way they are from a from a mental uh, standpoint and how the history of what some of their you know ancestors have been through what they've been through impacts the way they approach challenge change adversity uh so it was it was really strong i love when we talked about harry dreaming she said dreaming big is a responsibility i mean to me that that was incredible you know like it, it it's she and she talks about what that looks like dealing with top performers and and how when she stretches them to think limitless and to think like and dream as big as they can you know sometimes it's not that big and and just the the exercise of how to, to do that and what that looks like uh can bring top performance so there's a lot of really great nuggets in here um you know i i, I, I love uh you know hearing what she had to say and I, I look forward to the next time we get a chance to interact with her i love it yep so guys enjoy this podcast with laura wilde all right, welcome to the Room Tilters podcast. Our guest today, Laura Wild. We're really excited to have her on the show today. Welcome to the show, Laura. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for having us uh, too. We're, we're excited to get a chance to talk to you. Um, you know, I I'm really excited. You know, you, you you showed the basketball. I see the basketball in the background, right? Two sport college athlete. Uh, you're working on your fourth book. Is that right? Is that correct? I am. Yes. Excited to hear more about that. And well, go ahead. Yeah, I, I love writing. And I always feel like if I put it in a book, at least I can remember what I was thinking in a moment in time. And maybe if someone else reads it and it helps them, great. But I really write, you know, kind of for myself and who I what I needed back when I was, you know, trying to be great. I love that. I love that. And, and also a mental conditioning coach. And we're going to, we're also going to talk a little bit about that too. So give us, I'm, I'm really fascinated and interested with the, with the athletic background that you have with basketball and track. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Where'd you go to college and, and, and how sports played a, a early role 
in, in who you are today? Yeah, well, I went to a junior college in Texas was my first place to go because I was promised if I went there and did well, I could transfer to the University of Texas. You know, I didn't go for the typical reason people go for it because I wasn't, I was a, an A slash B student. So when I went to JC, I went so I could be a little less raw at basketball, a little more refined. And then I kind of got off track and I ran off to a division three school, the University of Dallas. So there I was able to thrive, you know, be like the big girl on campus. <laughs> I also ran track, which might've been, you know, hard to do at a big time school like Texas. I don't, probably not even fast enough to have run at UT. <laughs> which which events which events did you run 400 the hurdles mile relay and the open 200 and i did all the jumps you know whatever i could do i did the maximum amount of events i could do each, each dang season. did you ever feel that because you know as a basketball player and, and, and somebody running track those those seasons kind of overlap right i'm imagining yeah, so did you ever but i didn't mind that all i would ever miss was track conditioning that was actually that's awesome. true <laughs> well well yeah so i mean i played football and baseball in college and and so and the seasons really didn't overlap the off seasons kind of did you yeah. know, off season for football I met with the, and I got, I always got out of like the, you know, like the, the winter uh, football conditioning program, which was, which made people jealous. But, but I was wondering from a performance standpoint, cause you know, I'd always be a little bit behind, especially in baseball, you know, just a little bit behind at the plate and different things just cause just I haven't been, you know, I haven't been playing all off season. I wasn't sure if you, if you it took you a bit to kind of get back into it or just you're just athleticism just took over and you were, you know, you could get back into it easily. I don't know, but it was hard for me. Yeah. I think, I feel like track is just such a, it's not the same fine motor skills. So you're not doing, your skills is like, just move those legs. And yeah, so right, right. I think it was hurdles probably, yes, because hurdles are all about repetition and mm. the rest of it is really about conditioning. So, you know, some athletes, you know, hated the conditioning before track, but I never had to go through the part I didn't like. I would show up like a week before a meet. I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> I just jump in and certainly I got better and I probably peaked later in the season than the rest of the athletes. Um, but I, you know, I running track was like one of my greatest joys of life. That's cool. Did you now at playing sports at the college level and then coaching at the college level, which, which one did you like better? I only coached because I could no longer play like coaching uh -huh. was my consolation prize. Okay. I'll coach. And even though it was exciting and I loved it, it was really just so I could, you know, pretend to be a player. Like early in my mm -hmm. coaching years, I would play full court basketball with my team. I'd run point guard and like, you know, call them out because I had played at a level higher than I coached. Uh -huh. So even until I was like in my early thirties, I was on the court running full court. It was fun. Like, so definitely playing, playing, That's cool. you know, if it wasn't a felon, I would definitely sneak onto a team right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's funny. My, my sister's playing right now. She's a senior at Stanford and yeah. plays guard there. You know, this whole COVID the whole pandemic is, you know, throwing a loop into kind of, you know, their experience. I mean, obviously I think last year they had a good year and then going to the tournament, they missed it all. I'm sure you were following that. And now they're about to start up again. And, uh, you know, so we'll see how the, how the season goes, but I've, I've really enjoyed watching just really tremendous basketball at the women's level. Like DJ, I mean, these, these women can play, man, like, you know, across the board, these women can play some basketball. So like for people who love basketball, it's, it's cool because you're seeing like basketball, like really like, played at a level you know it's kind of like the right way to play the game and right you see everything from defense to great shooting to great offenses being run and then you got some and you got some athletes too you know guards that are six one you know yeah uh, how, how, how tall are you laura I'm five nine okay so did you okay. were you a guard or you were a small forward where, where were... point guard uh in general but i did learn how to post up my i had a post coach named clifford ray who's a 
Golden State Warriors, you know, coach. Some lady when I was like 19 said, hey, I got a neighbor who's a, a post coach. I didn't know it was <laughs> I knew who that was. So we'd hang out at the playground outside and I would learn up and under and all that stuff. And That's I'd great. And post up all the post players. But the women's game is so powerful because like you said, it's so fundamental. Uh, it's just fun. To, if you're a basketball junkie, the women's game is, I think, more fun. Mm-hmm. Running an offense, running a play, they're doing these basic things that got people to love basketball in the first place, you know, like the, the like the 80s game when they were right. And, you know, some of those days when the guys weren't allowed to dunk because it was against the rules. <laughs> That's right. They put that in what Lou Alcindor, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They, 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 they stopped them from dunking there for a minute. That's like, funny. Like, look at that. Well, yeah. I, I find it's a great tragedy. Anyone, you know, I, my son is a professional ballet dancer in Russia. And because Russia is pretty open, he and his girlfriend are still dancing. But I noticed, and, and like in my heart, I hurt so much for any athlete between, you know, 10th grade and a senior in college because they are missing out on something really special and the opportunities for them, like time does matter for them. Time yeah. fine. I just don't understand how with all these seasons being canceled, like what mm-hmm. is really going to happen for some of these kids where athletics is such a big part. Like for me, I didn't go pro. We didn't have pro back then. But mm. Those last two years for me were so formative. I can't imagine missing out. So I feel really badly for all the kids who aren't getting to play in college or high yeah. school. It's a good, yeah, it's a really good point. It's a unique year. Definitely this year. Um, how are you, how are you doing this year? Like, how are you navigating through this? I mean, you, you, you know, people look to you as the expert, I, you know, you're mentally conditioned. You're, you know, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. There's a lot of pressure around that. You know, I also do healing work and people, well, you know, once in a while, someone will say, you're sick. I go, well, I'm allowed to get sick too. I just know how to heal myself. Right. And then <laughs> friends say, I didn't know you ate anything junk food. So there's all this pressure. Right. And then to be strong mentally, because I'm a mental performance coach. And I think it just means that I have better tools than the average person. And I know how to use them even when I don't want to use them. So like mm-hmm. one thing I did is I bought a little putt-putt golf thing to practice putting. Um, I tried to take golf lessons and they weren't taking new people at the golf course I wanted to go to. So I was like, all right, I'll go on Amazon. I can find myself a way to practice putting around the house. Um, <laughs> I go on Amazon. I buy little unicorn toys and remote control cars because I've really been isolated. My son's in Russia. I can't go there. He can't really come here easily and still go back, you know, um, wow. least far away. So I hear all these people saying, it's been so great. I get to be with my kids and my husband. And for yeah. me, no, it's the opposite in some ways, but it's given me a chance to really work on my craft. And mm-hmm. I've been eating, you know, I loved, I learned that pop chips are really good. Like, you know, <laughs> I can eat three bags during one Netflix uh, maybe four bags during a one. Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hip to pop chips. I, I got to get on it. Harry, you hit, are you hip yeah, to pop chips? Man, come on now. In fact, this podcast is now sponsored by pop chips. <laughs> pop <you know>? chips. <laughs> <laughs> plane, so I would always take bus one from the arena back to the, um, the plane so I could get the pop chips because the sea salt ones would go really fast. And then uh-huh. someone caught on and started having someone, uh, the pop chips would be gone fast. And then someone mm-hmm. uh, caught on and put big bags, bags of pop chips on the plane. So you can imagine my, wow. we had this, you know, these long flights at two in the morning. That's right. Yeah. So listen, I was, you know, as I was trying to do more research uh, on you and where you've been and everything. I was, you know, I was snooping on your LinkedIn. So just in case you can see that, just know if that's what <laughs> I was doing. I was just trying to learn a little bit about where you've been and where you're going. But I also noticed in your profile, you talk about um, you talk about supra mental performance, supra, S-U-P-R-A hyphen mental performance. What is that? And is that, 
how is that different than what kind of DJ and I recognize based on the business we have? What is that? Tell us about that a little bit. Well, um, you know, I'll just go back to a quote that Einstein said a long time ago that we've all heard a dozen times or more that you cannot solve a problem at the level of consciousness that created it. So I have trained in some of the latest on neuroplasticity, neuroscience, and mind-body medicine. And if you look at mind-body medicine, we understand that our consciousness and our self-awareness is key for us to heal. It's really key for us as we become the best we're meant to be. So we have like a physical body, right? And then we have this emotional body. We hold all of our emotions in this layer called our emotional body. And then we have our mental body. So the mental body is great. And that's where most practitioners are working. And actually it's helpful for many athletes where there's this whole other level called the supramental. We even have a supramental body. It's like our wisdom body, our intuitive body. And when an athlete gets really intuitive and has a little bit more self-awareness, now the mind is something they're just watching and observing. They're not in the mind, but they're beyond the mind. And when you go beyond the mind, you really can change <coughs> your health changes. Like everything about you shifts into this other, I always call, call it like your quantum self, you know, where you're not now thinking everything. And now you, you can play the game sort of um, from outside of yourself or the game flows through you mm -hmm. instead of from you because you're no longer thinking I'm in charge of all this. And so the idea of surrendering a little bit is one of the premises of super mental performance is that we really are going mm -hmm. beyond just the mental to the next level, which is, you know, higher consciousness. And I feel like yeah. you know, mental performance has to start including these things. It has to include this other part of the person for us to really get the best because, you know, mental performance and its typical form has been around since the late 1800s or earlier. That's when the Cubs had their very first uh, sports psychologist on staff. And I'm actually not a sports psychologist. There's a whole lane for mental performance coaches, right? <laughs> so that's to me where we can go beyond and start to add in mind-body medicine and epigenetics mm -hmm. and spiritual. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. Um, you talk about the, you know, I think when people think mental performance and especially based on the role that you have and what you've been doing and building, you think athlete sports, um, where does, does this fit and where would it fit for the corporate athlete, right? For, you know, for salespeople, people who are performing right in that way, in that arena on a daily basis, does it apply just like just the same or what are the differences? How do you, have you seen it? Have you coached it in that area at all? What do you, what's the, give me, give me some, some knowledge there. Yeah, I have actually coached quite a few coaches, you know, pro level coaches, and I work with executive or corporate athletes. And those people actually, I think they love it more. You know why? Because the athlete has been kind of conditioned that I'm so great, I've got it under control. And the corporate athletes seem to have a little bit more humility in this because all the eyes may not be on them in the same way. There's the pressure is not always there. And they also don't have the same stigma of working with someone that I notice the athletes tend to have almost as a default. So corporate athletes, it's the same thing. I even use basketball analogies or football analogy with them. And I think that everyone needs someone and, or some thing in their life that helps them kind of go beyond and get out of their own head and out of their own way. And so I use it for everyone on every level. I have a couple, a couple times a week, I talk to a couple of corporate clients on Zoom with the whole staff. They love it. And I'm always kind of just channeling. I'm just going from the heart. And it's the same kind of stuff I do with athletes. They're just a little bit more open. And they also don't mind being on a big Zoom call. They don't need one-on-one <laughs> -on -one attention. You know, the athletes tend to be like, no, you know, just I'll meet you tomorrow too. <laughs> right, right. So you you mentioned some of the, you know, some of the stuff you were saying earlier. What, what reminds me of like when an athlete gets in the zone, 
right? Like, you know, you like everything is clicking. Um, can, you know, can you help people get in that zone? Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what is that? And, and how do you help people get in the zone if you can do that? Yeah, well, I've been actually in, I was in an intensive program training to help people access like the, you know, the unconscious mind. And it basically is zone training. So I teach people how to get in the zone and how to stay in the zone, because that's really key, right? Sometimes people get in the zone and they have these moments of greatness. But what if you could be in the zone the entire game? And as I've studied athletes, especially being able to watch all the games in the NBA, like, because everyone played, you know, there was no real overlap. And normally we miss games while we have games. So I was actually able to study and I noticed that hardly anyone at the NBA level really knows how to get in the zone on command and stays there. And the reason we know that is because there's such an argument about who's the best, right? And every athlete has these moments of inconsistency. So yeah, I teach athletes how to get in the zone and how to stay there. And that's something I've done tons of research on over the last few years. <clears throat> Everyone talks about it, but most people don't teach it. And it's kind of this arbitrary fleeting. Yes, you know, you can get into the zone if you can use your breath work or your meditation. But it's more than that. Like we really have to have sort of a blend and have to have this focus. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like this, like a reverse prism where, you know, the light hits the prism and it changes speed. And because each bit of light comes out at a different speed, we see colors. With an athlete, it's like a reverse prism. Like all the colors of an athlete are like the experiences, the belief systems, the personalities, the, the talents and gifts. So it comes in through the big end of the prism and it comes out in this laser focused light so that everything that they are shows up in one long, beautiful, white light stream of focus. And that's to me what the zone feels like. It can be mystical. If, it's, if you're really in the zone, it does feel a little bit mystical and magical to everyone else in the arena. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, like as an athlete, I got into the zone a lot. I don't know how I did it. OK, but I was I was there. Look at Lee Harry's face. You ain't no, no, you ain't no zone. You ain't getting no zone. You're talking as about, an athlete. So like maybe but, maybe if you're playing a horse with like me or something, you might right? get in the zone. But you're not getting, you know, come on. But, that, but we don't want to talk about athletics, which is now we'll talk about business. But what's interesting, Laura, is that I, I find myself um, in in you know when you're talking about our we're talking about our company and selling another company to another company and trying to build a partnership there are times where like if you get a deal and you sign a deal then like the next one if you do it really quickly is much easier because you have this like momentum right it almost feels like i'm i'm you know back in the zone right um and so i think what you're saying it, it absolutely applies to business in the sports world though have, who have you seen do it the best and is there something specific, you know, that it says this person, you know, this NBA player, this athlete, whatever it is, this is how they get in the zone. This is, you know, this is why they get in the zone more than their colleagues. Yeah. Um, I think like I've seen spurts of people get in the zone. I've seen like Kawhi get in the zone and just be almost mechanical. And then mm -hmm. someone like Clay uh, for the Golden State Warriors shooting those threes where his is his was a little bit more mystical and magical so much so that the entire audience kind of bought into this and they were inspired and motivated by this. So I, what's interesting, I mean, I really don't like to say this, but when uh -huh. I, athletes play, so few of them actually get in the zone. I felt like BAM kind of did. And then um, Celtics had this group zone thing they would get into and then they didn't pull it out and make it further, but there were things that happened. And that's because if a couple of guys on a team get in the zone, the rest of the guys on the team can get in the zone. It really mm. is an interesting thing. Even if they've never been trained, there's something about it because it is a frequency. And if like, you know, if I'm in a room full of people who are trying to learn how to play the violin and I hit a note for them, 
they're going to be able to find that note in time. If I hold it steady and I hold that frequency, I go, you guys try to match my frequency. And I feel like that's what happens when a great player does get in the zone. Is hmm. They allow their teammates to rise up to them. I definitely yeah. think back in the day did it. I mean, Jordan probably is the best at ever at getting into the zone. I, I can promise you he didn't know exactly how to do it, but he was just good enough to let it happen. Kind of like DJ, you know? Yeah, yep, yeah, that's right. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, and you see it across different, you know, if you think about, you know, if we do think about sports, I mean, baseball is a good example. You see guys, guys <laughs> that, are, that will, you know, have a hitting streak that's whatever, 25 games long, but then it's how, how quickly you can go over 21, you know, and it sometimes just depends on when, you, when that happens. Like if you do that at the beginning of the year and you're batting, you know, you're going one for, you know, one for 20 and you're, you know, you're batting like, fit, you know, under the Mendoza line, it's hard to pull out of that. You know, it's really hard to pull out of it. I think that, you know, I, I think that you, you know, whether it be football, like my brother had, had a really great start to the year, right. This year, right. Where, I mean, he was unconscious, you know, and on a pace to break the single season uh, touchdown record. I don't know where he stands now, but I know he had a couple of games law where it wasn't working out. Right. And, <laughs> and at some point, so I think, you know, whether he knew he was in the zone or not, or how to get in there, he was in there. And then, and then it kind of, you know, something shifted, you know, the momentum changed, something happened and, and it, and then it, there was a, a confidence shift for a minute. And so I think maybe after last night, maybe they're back into that, that, I'm not saying I'm not going to call it a zone yet, but hopefully they are one. <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting to watch, you know, from, especially from quote the sideline. But you know, one of the questions I had for you is, you know, one of your big contributions or additions to the sports performance arena is this area of epigenetics. This area of epigenetics, and 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 I want you to tell our audience a little bit about what that is and how it's valuable in the space that you're in, and what you're finding, and some of the research and different things like that. Yeah. Well, epigenetics is a really important part and has been up, overlooked up until now when it comes to mental performance. And I really believe that, and I've seen this happen, that our DNA matters and it helps. If we can manage our DNA a little better, we can overcome the self-sabotage, the doubt, and even the injuries because an epigenetic marker basically is like a little thing that sits on top of our DNA. So trauma can be an epigenetic marker. Um, a parent who smoked can be an epigenetic marker or even a parent who was affected by toxicity. Like imagine all the kids in Flint who drank all that water. When they have children, their children will have an epigenetic marker of whatever the poison, you know, lead poisoning. So if we add uh, epigenetics and the removal through energy epigenetic uh, work, then the athletes who play sports, let's say an athlete has a recurring knee injury or an Achilles heel injury. That's probably an epigenetic marker. And it could be related to old trauma where, I mean, my best example is if you imagine like a young uh, boy with his mother during slave times, a black young boy with his mother walking to town to shop for their slave master. Uh, just imagine that that mother was making sure her son did not look big, tall and strong. And as soon as any black man got money and was out there in the fifties, he could actually be punished for being great, for being wealthy. So it's in our DNA to make sure we play ourselves a little bit small. Don't be too great. Even if our minds have overcome it, this is why super mental is so important so that our soul can know the truth, right? If we re release the epigenetic marker of trauma, now maybe when we go to step up to the line and shoot a free throw, we hear uh, a roaring crowd, especially if it's a crowd that's like against us, our great, great, great grandfather's PTSD isn't activated. So now we can maybe make the free throw because we're not stressed out. And, um, wow. you know, our kidneys are all about fear in Chinese medicine. 
So if you imagine an epigenetic marker of <coughs> a player who has basically, you know, slavery in his or her DNA, it's going to make a big difference if we can release these epigenetic markers. Then we can suddenly be free to play, be free to be wealthy, be free to be great, and really be free to be healthy. Because if you were a young black uh, man or a boy walking around in, during slave times or sharecropping times, it did not pay to be smart or wealthy or confident. That was, it was dangerous. So PTSD can be enacted. And athletes don't understand. They go, you know, I don't know why I spent all my money. I don't know why I did this wow. to my wife. It's because the self-sabotage keeps them safe as far as their, their mind goes, because their mind is going back to the body, which is holding the DNA. So we have to create the, break the chain there, which is why I always say mental performance is great, but the mind can't see past what the mind believes. So if you go to the super mm. level, now you're suddenly able to teach the mind things that the mind was unaware of, and people can really be in a state of mastery and excellence there. Okay. That's a mic drop moment. Y'all better, hey, better play that one back. Go ahead, yeah, Laura. I'm just gonna, we're gonna hey, run I this mean, one just listen, over. let me just go ahead and take let a just, deep let me, breath. Let me just turn it. my mic. I'm gonna go on mute. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on mute for a little bit. Wow. <laughs> just let that, let that simmer. That was good. So, that was Laura, awesome. So, Laura, the the interesting thing, and and Harry and I have been talking a lot about this offline and also on the podcast, is that this whole thing around race, ra uh, racial reconciliation, and and the movement, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement that's that's happening right now. It's part acknowledgement and it's part solution. And I think, um, I think a lot of times in, in, in the past, we, 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 we've said that, you know, a lot of people want to go straight to the solution. How can we fix it, right? Without acknowledging what's actually happened. Yeah. And then there's some cases where people just want to talk about everything that's happened and then there's no solutions. So it's really both. And what, I, what I've never heard before until you just brought it up today is like how deep that acknowledgement is. It's not only about the history, but it's about mentally how it impacts you and, and, and how deep that goes. And I think once you acknowledge that and once people there's an, a certain awareness there of that, it does unlock it does unlock things. I, I've seen even going through this process and different books I'm reading, conversations I'm having with family. It's like knowing your history unlocks you and frees you up to say, oh, that's why, you know, I am the way I am or my father was the way or whatever it is and so i love i love what you're saying there so thank you thank you so much for sharing that with, with the uh it's, the listeners it, people have not quite thought through it and they say that um in general slavery stays on us for about seven generations and i see my son who's a six foot three brown skinned man walk into the <clears throat> bel air hotel with complete and absolute entitlement i'm like it ain't on him it's, it's not on him he does not have that mm. tendency to be yeah. a tiny bit smaller and I can feel it on me, but mostly when I see it not on him, I go, whoa, I don't walk in here. Right. Like I belong <laughs> here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so how open, how open are these players? These guys, because they're, they're young, right? You're talking, you're talking 18, 19, 20, 25 year old athletes. How open are they to utilizing some of these mental, um, you know, conditioning and performance techniques that you teach? Well, I always say the athletes are the easiest uh, clients because it's really the executives who are over 35 and 40-ish. Those are the biggest challenges, right? Those tend to, those guys tend to block the, the avenue to the athlete, but the athletes are like digging on it. Yeah, yeah, okay, I get this. And they, they understand it and I speak their language, right? Like I, I speak basketball, I speak sneakers and I speak epigenetics. And to them, epigenetics is like, hey, why do I wanna smoke so much? Or why do I wanna spend my money when I know I shouldn't? Or why do I, you know, find myself in situations where the coach is not like me. 
that's mm-hmm. all stuff that can be shifted and changed with some of this epigenetic work. So I just talk to them about that. You know, I don't really tell them, oh, an epigenetic marker is because of this. I say, hey, if you want to get along with your coach better, we got to create some synergy like behind the scenes, not just by you talking to coach, but you have to actually, you know, change the way you're thinking inside. Athletes mm-hmm. like that, especially mm-hmm. because they get lots of one-on-one attention and they're not having to be in a group to learn this stuff. And, you know, these guys just want to be great. They want to leave a legacy. And if I really talk to them about it, they're looking at creating generational wealth and being great for three years is not going to make that happen. So if they want to sustain a career, they have to be great for a long time. So that chip on their shoulder, I always say, if you have a chip on your shoulder, then that's great. It'll keep you powered in the NBA for between five and seven years. After that, you're going to start getting injured because a chip on your shoulder means you're under duress in your mind and your body is then under duress. So soon you'll start getting injuries, chronic injuries, repeat injuries, because the chip cannot sustain you for a long career. You got to shift that and change into the way you play. Like it has to come from the heart, it has to come from a higher place. Um, hey, 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 Harry, before you go to your next question, we need to have her come talk to the Cleveland Browns. Okay. Cause they, they, they always got to act like they got a chip on their shoulder. It's not healthy. Cleveland It's not healthy. Well, you know, it is funny. I mean, like, you know, I've noticed that at least, you know, in my amateur uh, diagnosis uh like i've noticed that with baker mayfield i mean you know I, he's he's a guy who like totally wants to talk about the chip on his shoulder wants to show it to you wants to like you know show it off and it's like that's his mantra that's his thing and um you know you know under recruited you know no scholarship transfer it's like we get it dude we get it like at some point at some point you know you like it's you know you don't have to be the underdog you know um Not that way and like dame why are you hurt like i'm just gonna speak on it Dame, why are you hurt in the biggest games of your life? Like, what is that? Because I always say, look, it's not an injury. You know, I'm the first person to roll my eyes when someone gets hurt. Now they're blocking their greatness. If only they could see that they can shift that energy. But Dame got hurt right when it was important for him to be great. And he got to sit and watch his teammates. And so did um, Giannis. Like, how y'all been trying to be hurt? That is absolutely Mm self-sabotage. It's got to change. It's got to change through epigenetics. And they're not aware of it. They don't do it on purpose at all. But like at some point you have to go, whoa, something's not right. Well, you know, we we talk a lot about in our business, this concept of adversity tolerance, you know, and not every like pain tolerance. Not everybody has the same level of adversity tolerance. You know, like DJ and I might go out and hoop. We both have a high ankle sprain. Maybe DJ has a higher level of of pain tolerance than I do. So he's back on the court the next day or the next week or whatever. And I'm still in the the training room getting ice and stem and getting treatment and still sitting out, still in street clothes. It's the same thing in like business and in life. You know, in business, let's say it's DJ and I are sales reps. And when he's in Cleveland, I'm in Louisville, similar markets, whatever. Um, There's an insult to the business. I treat it one way. He treats it another you know, where, where he might be, might find ways to be more nimble and figure out how to, how to navigate and find new clients, new customers, new way of selling. Whereas I'm, you know, feeling the grass is greener somewhere else. What was me? And I'm on LinkedIn looking for another job, right? Wasting time. Two and great so examples, same. Harry. Two very good examples, man. <laughs> well, listen, you. you know, listen, I'm just trying to be humble, man. Just trying to be humble, <laughs> keep humble. But I, I listen, here's the thing, right? Is that I think that, you know, the same thing in sport, you know what I mean? I, I, in, in, in life is, is all that shows up as well. And I, I think, you know, What's interesting is, you know, adversity tolerance a lot of times is, is built through experience and, and maybe, maybe maybe even some of these epigenetic markers that you're talking about. And I'm, I'm sure for, for you, for some of our listeners, some people are probably assuming, oh, man, this, this woman, Laura's got it. Laura got it, has it figured out. Like she, I, I want to, I'm sure she's had success along the entire way. Her entire journey has been successful. 
but my guess is that's not the case. My guess is that you faced your own adversity, right? And so I want to hear a little bit about that. Like what's shaped you? What's what's brought you through? What's kind of created this this like beast monster that you are that's that's you know taken over? Thank you. Yeah, I like being called a beast actually. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I so I have found myself with everything falling apart in about 2011, 2012. I mean, I could go back and look at the date, but why look back? And suddenly I found myself needing to sleep in my car because I got evicted from my apartment and I had this whole plan for financial stability, for career stability, and it fell apart in my face. Like it literally all broke through like in 48 hours and I didn't know what to do. So I went and got a storage, put all my stuff in storage. I was like, I'll sleep in my car for a couple of nights, which turned into months. So I learned like, wow, like a gym membership is key because I'm clean every day. And I actually got in good shape because I couldn't work that much. So I wasn't that busy. And I was just trying to find little ways to get myself back out of that. But I really got to notice that my thoughts had created some of that, like my self-doubt. So I got to really look at my thoughts. I had a lot of time uh, sitting alone in my car and I started to recognize, wow, if I got myself into this, I can get myself out. And I also had this thought, and my teacher kind of reiterated this. He said, uh, my meditation teacher, he said, hey, that's uh, Michael Beckwith actually, who actually knows, interesting, Michael Beckwith knows uh, Pete Carroll very well. So. Michael said, you're arrogant. I was like, I'm not <clears throat> homeless. He said, no, you're arrogant. You think that God has blessed all these people, who, and but not you? Like, you're so special, you're homeless. And you don't have enough money to eat. And I was like, okay. So we got, it got really real, right? I had to really look at it and make sure I was not being a victim. But I learned how resilient I was. And I learned how grateful I was for little things. I mean, I got skinny because I didn't have a lot of money for food. Um, I had, I only ate like, uh, you know, one or two vegan meals a day. So I was like, my, my skin was great. I would go park over on Georgina Avenue because I knew that I had to like act as if I actually had a home so I could feel good. And because I had a Mercedes at the moment, my life fell apart. I could sit in front of Georgina Avenue houses in Santa Monica. That's like the part north of Montana. Like that's a place. Right, right. right. So I would wake up and be like, oh, I'm in my car now. I'm going to drive to work. So I just pretended I acted as if and I literally you know, had some resilience. I look back and I don't know where that came from, but I do know that they say that if you have stress and duress early in your life, you actually are ready for big, huge challenges. And I started reading a lot and, you know, I had a lot of time, like I said, and some of the people who've done the greatest things on this planet have experienced great downfall or great trauma or distress. So I realized that I was probably, you know, getting ready for a big, huge comeback. And that, I mean, something great was going to happen and going to come from me and through me. And I really did. Like I meditated a lot and I started coming up with, oh, quantum sports medicine. I know how to do this. And I started to understand my healing work even better. And I found the way to help someone be great and get out of their own like mm -hmm. dirt, like the own, the junk in our mind gets in the way. It's like, I always feel like I have dirt in my mind and I slip on it, I fall. So like I help athletes sweep out that dirt that's in their mind, that dirt that they're going through over and over again, slipping on it and falling because half the time they don't even know it's there. So mm -hmm. I got to see really close up and personal where I was going wrong with my thoughts and how to get myself out of it. So visualization was key. You know, I was so not feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> in general, right. I was like, I'm free. I would wake up by the beach. Like oh, I got oceanfront property. Cause if you went in the <laughs> parking lot, uh, right before it closed, you could stay there all night and they didn't kick you out. So, and you know, wow. I, morning, like walking on the beach, pretending I lived in Manhattan beach and I had a, a beachfront home. So that's so good. Football and it worked for me. So you say you that I, I love that story and there's so much packed into there um, about perspective 
about just like, you know, taking something that uh, is quote unquote a failure or I'm homeless and looking at it as an opportunity. Um, all of it, which have obviously is around mindset. How, how important is it when you're dealing with some of these top executives, top athletes, top performers, is it to, to dream and think big yeah. and, 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 and give us an idea of what that looks like? Yeah. Well, I think for me, uh, dreaming big is something that I recognize as a responsibility. It's not just an option because those of us who can dream big need to dream big because if those of us who can dream big don't, we let everyone else down. And the world is really relying on people who have the capacity to dream big for it to be uplifted out of anything that's going on. So I think it's vital for all of us who can dream big because maybe there's a, a person in a war-torn country who doesn't have enough food to eat, who cannot dream big. If he or she dreams big, it's about food. So if I can dream big about peace, about enough food for everyone and about athletes being great so they can actually shift the consciousness of humanity, then that's my responsibility to dream big. And if we don't dream big, we're not going to actually, you know, live that big, amazing life. And so many people, you know, are afraid to dream big because they're afraid they'll fail or it's just easier not to try too hard because failing might seem painful, but I failed so much that I welcome it. It just shows me where I'm going next. So I just throw myself in 100% or more all the way in for a big dream. And I, you know, one thing for me is my dreams are static. They, they change, you know, my dreams will change based on what the world needs, based on what my family might need. And I visualize, I imagine them. I always call it superhuman mental reps. Like I close my eyes and I am a superhuman. Like I'll see myself. I like one of my things I use for basketball players is why don't you just practice scoring a million points a game? Or maybe for, you know, a guy like your brother, Harry, you know, throw 3000 touchdown passes for a game. Just <laughs> That. And then it's really easy to throw less. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's me, a good point. I like that. Yeah, thank you. So the athletes who do the million points, I, I, I just came to me one day and I was working with a guy who's a G League player. And I said, hey, we're going to have our best games. We're going to close our eyes. I'll take you to the zone and play your best game. And then it's funny because he came out of the zone and we, were, we had been visualizing. And I said, oh, man, I saw you in there. You were playing great. How many points did you score? He goes, 24. I was like, wow. And I realized like in that moment, I was like, whoa, that for him is a huge leap beyond his, you know, 2.4 points a game, whatever he had. He's like, how many points did you score? I, I kind of felt guilty, but I was like a million. He's like, uh, -uh you can't score a million. <laughs> I was like, I just did though. Like I literally just did. You didn't see me. And so we're like beefing on each other. And I said, no, you can score as many points as you want. I told you there were no limits and you limited yourself. And there was this huge epiphany for him. I think he's like, whoa. She said, I could score as many as I want. And I scored 24. Mm. Look at that. That's not even an NBA best on any given night. So he actually could see where the ceiling had been put on him by only him. It wasn't, wow. the, it wasn't the other things. It was just his own that's, thinking. That's his own awesome. thinking. That's great. That's great. I mean, like, you know, you know, we see that, you know, with, you know, people we've worked with in the past or that we even work with now clients, you know, that, um, not everybody, uh, not everybody has a mindset that is allowing them to take the cap off, you know, to, to, or at least, or at least move the ceiling up a little bit somewhere, right. To kind of, uh, you know, the ceiling is so, you know, it's a typical, what, eight foot ceiling, right. Or whatever the typical ceiling is maybe in DJ's house. So yeah. He's got high ceilings in his house, but, but you know, yeah, you y'all 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 both of y'all got like high ceilings. I mean, you know, yeah, people hey, like I people like, like me. Like Laura. Yeah, Laura, you know what I'm saying? We hang out, you know, same type of houses. <laughs> yeah, me, people like me just have normal normal size, you know, ceilings, you know, and and but but real talk, I mean like, you know, 
again, we come from this sales environment where there, there's reps all over the nation. There's 300 reps and, and, you know, certain markets have never won in the past. Right. And so why would I win? I'm in this market. I'm happy making whatever I'll make per quarter. Um, and then it just takes that one person to be put in that position in that particular market or territory that all of a sudden that territory now becomes a winning territory, a president's club winning territory, number one in the nation, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden that, that you get that taste and you, and then that individual can't get enough of, of, you know, they winning is contagious and they, that all of a sudden now that territory is one of those territories that it always wins. Right. And it's the person it's them taking the, the, the ceiling and, 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 and lifting it, right. Or, or taking the cap off. And, and that those are always beautiful things. So, I mean, and, and as we wrap, and I want to ask you talk about dreaming, you know, so, and kind of mapping out, you know, your vision, what's, what's next for you? Like, what are you, what are you dreaming big on right now? What's next for you? Where can we find you? What's, what's coming up? Yeah. I'm really working on making sure that all athletes can have access to the zone. It's like, why would I just say that for the ones I work directly with? Why don't I make a class online? Because it's not like I want to just share it with this guy or that guy, but if I share it with all the guys and, and women, now the whole level of all the sports goes up. Now maybe I can actually help humanity like shift our levels of excellence. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, it's really about having, you know, and sharing and kind of open sourcing things like quantum player development and quantum course medicine. So I'm going to be doing a, there's a guy who used to be the mental coach at the Utah Jazz. His name is Graham Betchart. He's kind of on the scene. He's a big player in the mental performance world. He and I are going to do an online gym. So why not twice a month invite all the mental performance coaches, maybe athletes, just to hear what's behind it. So Graham and I want to give, we want to make sure it's accessible to everyone. I've never been about keeping things a secret and keeping it away from everyone. With a thing like epigenetics, people are so uh, doubtful about new things being possible that, you know, I don't have to worry about trying to keep things a secret. People don't even want to hear the good stuff when I tell them about it sometimes. <laughs> so I'm just trying to share, you know, what I've learned, what I know, you know, I'm getting to that point in time, you know, where I'm like, well, it's time for me to actually have a mentor, but also to be uh, a mentor. So yeah. To be love it mm-hmm. have, have you ever thought about doing a have you ever been approached or thought about doing like a ted talk on this epigenetics piece uh it's interesting you say that because i have a molecular biologist i work with and i told mm-hmm. her i said hey i want some input because i want to speak on this some more so i i love public speaking so that would be a great next step that's my new dream i said my dreams are static right so yeah yeah <laughs> i mean well listen here's the thing is that I, and i was going to ask you this uh when we got a chance is like about speaking, right? You know, do you speak? And that's obviously you just answered that you love to speak. And, you know, certainly with with Limitless Minds, we have this whole platform that's growing um, tremendously. There's a digital component to it, of course, but there's also this, you know, live and now virtual, <laughs> um, uh, you know, engagements that we do both, you know, keynotes, leadership summits, et cetera. So we should, we should really talk about um, collaborating because, you know, we'd love to also not only what you're doing with your athletes, but we'd love to have you, you know, kind of create a path for you to impact these corporate athletes as well. So we'll talk offline. I, I, we'll, we'll set it up. We'll talk offline. Cause I love to just turn the podcast into an interview. I like yeah, this a job yeah, interview. Yeah, this yeah. is like, okay. Well, it's, hey, it's, you know, I guess the podcast <laughs> when you, when, is when you got talent, when you got talent, you got, <laughs> you got talent, you got talent. So, I mean, no, but like real talk though, I mean, I think that your, your message and your messaging and, 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 and certainly even the diversity diversity that you bring to the table and all these different things should be shared. You know what I mean? And yeah, and, no question. And um, there's all these individuals that are, you know, and at these companies that we work with that are mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, et cetera, they're not athletes. They're not, they, they kind of think their career in that regard is over. They, they've been there, done that. They're washed up like myself. And now they're, now they're trying to just, you know, build a family and, and build a career. And just like a performer on the field or the court, 
um, these are tools that are totally applicable for them and they just don't, they don't feel like they have access. So, so that's what we're trying to do is, is provide the same access that you're trying to provide for the athletes. We're trying to do it for the business space. And so I think there's some synergy there that should be explored, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like every, if every little, every little corner of the world has a chance for this, then the divine spark in each one of us gets to shine, right? So that's, that's where I look at it. I mean, an athlete is a being like someone who's not an athlete, even though I happen to work with athletes, that's because people tell me that you got to pick a niche. You got to pick a niche. So I'm always trying to like, all right, all right, I'm over here though. Okay, I'll come back over here. Yeah. So I love working with people of all levels. And also, you know, one thing about someone who's not an athlete is they probably haven't been told they're great. So for me to be one of the first people to like whisper, like, you're great, you're great, you're amazing. That's really cool. I point to athletes. That's my job. Like my job is to point to an athlete and show, tell them how great they are until they believe it. So once they I believe it. it now they're, you know, you know. Well, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, I, people ask me a lot of times about like, you know, either be my brother or some other athletes that I've been around or, or played with. Hey, what's the difference for so-and-so? How do they do that? It's like, man, the biggest difference for someone like, like my brother is his confidence level, his belief system is so strong and unwavering um, that, and, and, you know, and I've played with a lot of, I was, I've been an athlete who didn't have that, 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 I mean, like I didn't have that level of belief system. I wish I had, um, and, but I just didn't have it. Um, and my brother's got that in, in spades, it's, you know, even compared to some of his peers that are, you know, in, at the highest level, he's a savant when it comes to how he thinks competitively. Right. And, and, and I think that, um, and you, and you, you can't hide that, like that there's clues that are, there's a trail of, of why and where that's, that's occurred. And, and, you know, so if you can, you know, create a belief system in somebody who's got the talent. I mean, the, the sky's the you know the sky's the limit, or they're limitless, right? So, I mean, it's I definitely subscribe to to that for sure. Yeah, I do think that some people are born with that special little extra boost, and it's just innate for them. No matter what they do, they can't lose it. It's interesting because I I have often felt like I'm like that on some level, but I also know that there's something in me that had to learn part of it. So I think that's why I'm able to teach it, right? Some of the greatest athletes aren't good coaches because they don't know how to teach you how to make a layup. They just, <laughs> so it seems like. I mean, I know that can be taught, that innate confidence, that can be taught and uh, it can be learned, you know, by anyone, uh, just about. So I'd love to share that. that part so good. It. Awesome. Well, before we get into our rapid fire questions, I got one, one key takeaway that, Laura, that you would, you would want our audience to hear and take away um, as they listen to this, this podcast. I would say that uh, it's, it's your job to dream big for the world. Love it. Love it. Dream big or think big, go far, all that. It's all wrapped up into one. All right. Very good. So uh, rapid fire questions, Laura, what is your favorite? Uh, what is one of your favorite uh, books that you've ever read? Uh, Power versus Force by Dr. David Hawkins. Nice. I don't ever read that one. Very, very good. All right. Um, what is one thing that DJ Eitzen can do to get in the zone? Sorry, this is, this is not even on the list. This is the, I'm trying to get in the zone. He can. Uh, work with Coach Laura, or you can learn some breath work and meditation, which will lead you to the zone, but won't quite get you there, but it increases your chances. Okay. All right. I had to sign up on Dr. Laura. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what's, your, what's your favorite holiday uh, tradition? I would say uh, eating cookies and singing Mariah Carey, Oh Holy Night, when I'm alone, because it's a hard song to sing. You know that. It's hard. It's hard. A lot of, a lot of things going on there. It's complicated. A lot of, you know what I mean? No, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, so eggnog 
Yes or no? It's if it's soy, yeah, soy nog. <laughs> okay, soy nog. All right. And who is the person that you'd like to meet? Mm, I would say Maya Angelou, Barack Obama. Those two, you know, one's alive, one's not. So yeah, Barack. Yeah, you and me. Okay, so we have we, to meet we them say together. That, we, say, we say that DJ is kind of our. It kind of looks like Barack a little bit. <laughs> You say that like a young Barack, you there know you what I mean? Go, man. Before Thank he took you. the presidency, before yeah. his hair turned That's color. Right. That's right. But, oh man. Well, it is it has been an absolute pleasure, Laura. Uh where where can we find you? Um, you know, tell us about the Instagram, LinkedIn. What where, where where do we find you? Uh in LinkedIn is uh, sorry, not LinkedIn. Uh um LauraMWild.com. Mm -hmm. And Instagram is Laura Mitchell Wild. LinkedIn is probably Laura Mitchell Wild with a unicorn. Like my marketing people said, take that unicorn out of your name in the heading. And I took it out during the meeting. I put it right back in like a week later. Like, it's got to stay there. So if you, look, if you see Laura with the unicorn on LinkedIn, that's me. Laura Love Michelle. it. I saw Love that. It. I noticed that. Yeah. When I was looking. That's funny. Will I, get it? Will I not get jobs because of that? No, you should, you'll, be, you'll, be sure. you'll, be, you'll be just fine. No, you're just good. Fine. And the book is dropping in December? It's probably going to be January, you know, COVID has slowed down some things. And the book is The Meta Athlete. That's, that's the book. People can learn. We can all learn this stuff. Very, very good. Well, awesome. Thanks again. Uh, we really appreciate your time. A lot of notes here. So make sure you bring your pen and pad for this one. So it's very, very good. Thanks, Laura. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks, Karen. DJ. Appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. All Thank right. you. Thanks for coming. Thanks. You've been listening to the Room Tilters podcast. If you love it, do us a favor and rate us. Write us a review and share it with a friend. We appreciate you, our listeners. And remember, you don't have to be sick to get better.